KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. Good morning, I'm Annika Colbert. It's Monday, February 15th. The latest plans for reopening schools, we'll have that next, but first, let's do the headlines. San Diego public health officials reported more than 500 new COVID-19 infections on Sunday and 28 additional deaths. New shipments of the Moderna vaccine have been delayed, and that's forced some vaccination sites across the state and in San Diego to temporarily shut down, slow vaccinations, or reschedule appointments. A new shipment is expected on Tuesday. Meanwhile, coronavirus infection rates and hospitalizations continue to fall across California, though the death toll remains persistently high. The state reported more than 400 deaths on Sunday. The overall total in California for more than 46,000 deaths is now the highest in the nation, surpassing the total death toll for New York State. Despite the grim numbers, health officials are confident that the worst of the infection surge is now over. California state parks announced plans for turning an oil refinery property along the central coast into a huge off-road recreational area. The proposal is for the Phillips 66 Santa Maria refinery near Arroyo Grande. The refinery is still operating now, but it's planned to close by 2023. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. There's some updates from federal, state, and local authorities on how and when to reopen schools. KPBS education reporter Joe Hong has more. San Diego Unified School District officials are now saying that a return to full in-person learning is all but certain in the fall, and they're increasingly optimistic that more students will be able to come to campuses in the coming months, even if it's just part-time. Richard Barrera is the president of the school board at the district. We're very confident, Joe, that we can open in the fall. Uh, We're very confident that we will be able to have an expanded summer program. And if trends continue uh, the way that we're seeing right now, we believe that we're going to have more of our students on campus in the spring. He applauded yesterday's announcement by County Board Supervisor Nathan Fletcher that the county will begin offering vaccinations to teachers within the next three weeks. Barrera said vaccinating teachers is crucial. We need to get the virus under control in our community and the case rates need to be in decline uh, is kind of the second key uh, uh, part of that pathway to reopening. And the third is we need to vaccinate our educators. Meanwhile, Governor Newsom's office today launched its interactive map showing which districts in the state are operating in-person, hybrid, or distance learning only. 
Also on Friday, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention released its much-anticipated guidance for reopening schools. The guidance introduces its own colored tier system. Counties in the blue tier for low transmission or the yellow tier for moderate transmission are encouraged to reopen for in-person learning even if teachers aren't vaccinated. San Diego County as a whole is currently in the yellow tier, but parts of the county, especially in the South Bay, remain in the orange tier for their higher transmission rates. Barrera said San Diego Unified officials will consult with UCSD experts over the weekend about how the district will respond to the new CDC guidelines. And that was KPBS education reporter Joe Hong. A new pilot program is taking a neighbor-to-neighbor approach to reach people most impacted by COVID-19. KPBS reporter Matt Hoffman has more from City Heights. It's very grassroots moms, neighbor to neighbor. Miriam Rodriguez with the San Diego Latino Health Coalition has been working as a promotora or community health worker in City Heights for 15 years now. Promotora work is so important. It's part of our culture. You are welcome. You're here. How can I help you? Latinos make up the majority of coronavirus cases in San Diego County, but they are not getting majority of vaccinations. Officials hope that by sending teams out to areas like City Heights and the South Bay, that that will change. We go to different supermarkets all over the county, all the promotoras. Not only are we listening to each other, but we're encouraging them. Hey, I already had the vaccine last week. I'm feeling great. You know, go ahead. Do you need help signing up? Can someone in your family help you sign up? Rodriguez says she is hearing some fears about the vaccination and potential side effects, but she says many here want to know when a large-scale vaccination site will be coming to City Heights. When is it going to be next for our people? Because they're ready. They want to do it. Rodriguez says some people in this area do not have easy access to transportation, so officials have to bring vaccines to the community. She also says not everyone is on social media and some seniors are not online, so taking the vaccination message directly to them is key. We share our own experience and then we let them know as well, hey, this is a flyer so you can know more in your language what how the face is, but at the same time, call me. Send me a message. I'm here for you. The San Diego Latino Health Coalition is one of many groups working to make sure everyone who is eligible for a vaccination appointment is able to get one. We just want to make sure that they are actually getting the information because they might not be getting it. And we're trying to close that gap. Sanitizers, masks, uh-huh. and wipes. The Chicano Federation is also sending out teams across the county to deliver vaccination information. They are also continuing to hand out supply kits with masks and sanitizers via appointment only. Seniors 65 and over plus healthcare workers can book vaccination appointments through the county's website. And that story from KPBS's Matt Hoffman. California farmers are running out of wildfire insurance options. iNewsource investigative reporter Camivon Cannell has this story about how one San Diego County rancher's case sparked a statewide effort to get farmers help. On Nathan Rakove's 30-acre chicken ranch in rural Alpine, cattle and sheep graze on the brush to lower fire risk. But that hasn't helped him find insurance. We'd like to think that the system's going to work and they're going to come up with, with ways to give us credit for doing mitigation. At this point, for the most part, insurance companies have just redlined certain zip codes. He uses California's last resort insurance, the FAIR plan. But when he tried to add a tractor to the policy last year, he got rejected. He was told farms aren't eligible. He turned to Hannah Bay, head of the San Diego County Farm Bureau. I said, this is unacceptable. We cannot get a letter issued from the fail-safe, fallback 
program saying farmers are not allowed to have coverage. She got the California Farm Bureau involved. So far, about two dozen farmers in the state say they've also been turned down for the FAIR plan. The plan's president says state law forbids it from insuring farms. State Senators Ben Weso and Tony Atkins from San Diego are now working on a possible fix. That was iNewsource investigative reporter Kamivon Cannell. iNewsource is an independently funded nonprofit partner of KPBS. State lawmakers are trying to reconcile the sometimes conflicting values at work at public hospitals and Catholic hospitals who collaborate on patient care. KQED's April Domboski reports. For years, UC doctors and medical students have provided care at nearby Catholic hospitals as part of their training and as a way of expanding specialty care to more Californians. But UC providers are bound by Catholic Church directives that prohibit them from providing abortions, sterilizations, and gender affirmation surgery inside Catholic hospitals. Senator Scott Weiner says this makes the public university system complicit in discriminating against women and transgender patients. The fact that a UC medical professional would not be able to uh, provide that care, I just think is honestly completely outrageous. Weiner's new bill would require UCs to either renegotiate their contracts with Catholic hospitals to allow UC staff to provide all care or to end those affiliations altogether. Lori Dangberg from the Alliance for Catholic Healthcare says now is the worst time to do that. COVID-19 is placing unprecedented demands on our state's healthcare providers. Any effort to weaken the safety net would only harm the state's most vulnerable patients. Dangberg says pressuring Catholic hospitals to allow abortions within their walls is intolerant and could jeopardize health care for tens of thousands of Californians. And that story from KQED's April Domboski. California is looking at a major restoration project for the Salton Sea. KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson has more. The state is investing more than $200 million in a project that will create flooded ponds and other habitat on the exposed lake bed at the southern edge of the lake. We'll complete the work over the next two and a half years, I believe completing the, the project in 2023. State Resources Secretary Wade Crowfoot says the Salton Sea has been shrinking rapidly since 2018. California committed to a multi-billion dollar restoration effort as part of a deal that allows water to be sold to cities like San Diego. The project couldn't be started soon enough for Imperial Valley clean air advocate Luis Olmedo. It is a best available control measure to do water habitat types of project, and that's what the federal government requires. State officials eventually hope to cover close to 40,000 acres of exposed lake bed. And that story from KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson. Coming up, is it possible to reopen San Diego's theme parks anytime soon? We'll have that conversation next, just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, 
healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. The latest COVID-19 vaccination superstation opened at the Del Mar Fairgrounds over the weekend. Though whether the Del Mar Fair itself will return in the summer remains to be seen. Other popular attractions like the San Diego Zoo and SeaWorld are currently open only on a highly restricted basis, though all theme parks across the county want restrictions to be eased and to allow for more visitors to come back. But can they? Lori Weisberg covers tourism and marketing for the San Diego Union-Tribune. She spoke with KPBS Roundtable host Mark Sauer about the latest. Well, your story this week focused on a bipartisan bill introduced in Sacramento regarding restrictions on theme parks in California. I'll start by who, uh, telling us who introduced the bill and what do these lawmakers want Governor Gavin Newsom to do? Okay, so these are two Southern California lawmakers. One is Assemblywoman Sharon Quirk Silva from Fullerton, and the uh, and she her district includes um, Disneyland and Knott's Berry Farm. Collaborating with her on the legislation is Assemblywoman Martinez Valladares from Santa Clarita, and her district includes um, Magic Mountain. So basically, they're trying to get the governor's office to move up or accelerate when theme parks can open. Now, uh, if if somehow they got the governor to come in their direction and places like Legoland and Disneyland were allowed to open again uh, under restricted uh, conditions, what would those restrictions look like? What might visitors expect to encounter? Well, it would still have to be about at 25% capacity. The state wants the, a reservation system so that you have to make a reservation to come to the park at a certain date and time ahead of time. Uh, obviously, very strict um, masking at all times, um, those kinds of, you know, sanitation. I mean, the theme parks say they, they're already, they already have those kinds of measures in place. They're letting people come for shopping, like in Disney, it's downtown Disney is open. So they already have the drill down for the sanitation, the social distancing, the mask wearing, but capacity b- would be significantly less just as it's supposed to be right now for the zoo and SeaWorld, which are allowed to be open under rules for zoos and aquariums. And anecdotally, you're getting any feedback on how it's going at these parks when they opened again recently? Is it, are they doing okay uh, with these restrictions? I think so. I mean, I think I, I, I think they're doing okay. I, I did talk to, uh, incidentally, I talked to a co-worker who was at Safari Park on last weekend, who said it wasn't so much about the measures they were taking. She said it seemed almost as full as when you know she had gone pre-pandemic. But really? so far, I haven't heard any complaints about that they're not following the restrictions and they're not keeping things under control. I mean, they are requiring online reservations, which you've never had to do before. Right. Now, other places have gone ahead and opened theme parks elsewhere. Uh, well, California's kept most of them closed, as we're talking about, or severely restricted. Uh, what have California officials learned in trips to, say, Florida? So, right. So Florida has had their parks open for some time initially at reduced capacities. And I, I think in general, they were they were pleased with the uh, what they saw. Um, we also know um, from some reporting that None of these parks apparently have had any major outbreaks. I at one point talked to a reporter at the Orlando Sentinel who said um, there may be some, some minor outbreaks, but for the most part, there's, there has not been any reporting on any major outbreaks 
at any of these parks. So there's a sense that they're doing well, that the, that the um, precautions they're taking are, are working. Uh, but apparently the governor's office was still very worried because people are coming from all over the country to these parks and they, they feel like they don't have enough control over that that crowd so that so they're they're being very cautious on the theme parks now it certainly makes you wonder about the financial situation at these parks the sea world was just recovering from that blackfish scandal before the pandemic hit a year ago uh do we know how they fare during the pandemic i mean we've got federal relief funds uh coming in are they keeping them going what do we know about the zoo and legoland and other yeah they, uh, like for instance sea world has had to take out substantial loans that they plan to, on their own, that they plan to pay back. Even with their parks closed, um, excuse me, even with their parks open in Florida and elsewhere, but closed in California, they're still taking a significant, significant hit on their revenue, but they do expect to recover. Their, their latest earnings are coming out later this month, but I thought it was interesting. Disney's earnings just came out for their first um, quarter ending January 2nd. And um, they have a division that they call their parks, experiences, and products, which also includes, includes cruise ships. So you get a flavor of the park. So that re- the revenue from that sector alone fell 53%. They say they lost about $2.6 billion in lost operating income during this most recent quarter, e- even with um, some of their parks open elsewhere. Of course, Disney's got so many more assets, so that, that helps make up for the losses in their their parks and cruise business. Yeah, they're different one to the next. And who knows if uh, President Biden gets his uh, massive $1.9 trillion relief bill through, maybe it would have uh, helped for these kinds of businesses. Finally, I want to ask you about uh, the vaccination programs. We stumbled in California. Things seem to be getting better day by day. I mentioned big sites going to open at the Del Mar Fairgrounds. Any idea at this point what percentage of the population would need to be vaccinated, presumably with a corresponding big drop in the number of cases before these parks would be allowed to return to something close to normal operations? Well, I know that's like, that is the $64,000 question. Who, who can predict when there'll be enough immunity through people having had the disease and through vaccines that you bring that case rate number that we were talking about earlier down to a level that would let them go into these these uh, less restrictive tiers. So I, I think it still could be be months, but maybe the vaccines could be so accelerated that that maybe those case rates could fall that dramatically. It's just so because we're so early in that vaccine process, it's hard to know how quickly the case rates follow. Though you know, as you pointed out, they they already are falling right now. That was Lori Weisberg of the San Diego Union Tribune speaking with KPBS Roundtable host Mark Sauer. And for our arts segment today, Diversionary Theater is the third oldest LGBTQ theater in the United States, and it's decided to take advantage of having to be closed for the pandemic by beginning long overdue building improvements. KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando spoke with its executive artistic director, Matt Morrow, about what that remodel means for the organization. Matt, we are sitting in the middle of what used to be your lobby space here at Diversionary. What is going on right now? Well, what's not going on right now? It's uh, we are in the middle of renovations. They started demoing the entire building about two weeks ago. 
and they're making really good headway. This space, our, our lounge, is going to be transformed into our third performance venue, which we're really excited about. It's going to be a cabaret space, and it's going to have a full bar experience. And so we've been working really hard with our designers and our architects on what it means to honor the gay bar of yesterday. And so our cabaret is going to stand in honor of the gay bar as a historical place where our community gathered and organized and communed with one another and really launched the LGBTQ movement that we know of today. Now, I know this pandemic has been challenging for arts organizations. However, doing this renovation while we're in the midst of the pandemic seems like it's making the best use of this kind of time. Yeah, you know, it's really strange. We were working on this campaign for about a year before COVID-19 hit. And when COVID-19 hit, we were completely surprised. We didn't know if we can continue with the campaign or if we should continue with the campaign. But you know, we had a gala event that happened about three weeks after COVID-19 hit. And that gala, which had to migrate online and be virtual, really showed us how much our community loves diversionary and put a lot of wind in our sails. And we were like, you know what? We should continue with the campaign. And also while we're at it, all theaters are going to need to address COVID-19 and safety and security measures. Let's take those things that we're learning about COVID-19 and how to make our public spaces more safe and integrate them into the design while we have this opportunity. So what were some of the post-pandemic things that you decided to add to the theater that you had not thought of doing before? Well, the biggest thing that we're learning about is that the virus really travels through the air. And it's really about uh, air filtration and optimizing our HVAC system. So we're integrating a bipolar ionization filtration system to all of our HVAC systems for our public spaces. We're also incorporating antimicrobial materials into the design. We're also incorporating hand sanitizing stations throughout the facility. So whenever you feel like you need to sanitize your hands, you're just an arm's reach from one. And talk a little bit about what the renovations will mean for the actual theater space itself. We're getting all new theater seating, which I'm sure our patrons are going to be super happy to hear about because the theater seats before were way too small and very old and uncomfortable and frankly loud. They were had springs that would constantly go boing right in the middle of like the most tender moment of her performance. We're also going to be able to expand our main stage. The actual stage itself is going to gain about three feet. And so that's going to increase the type of work that we're able to produce on that stage. And can I ask how much the remodel costs? The entire remodel is 2.5 million, and we are just over 80% of our way to achieving that $2.5 million goal. And you said you're at 80% of the fundraising goal, so what's the plan for paying for the rest of it? We've been fundraising from our closest friends up until this point. And now we're turning to the public and starting the public phase of the campaign. And so we're going to be engaging the public at large uh, in the campaign moving forward. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. We're now, we're now just asking for money from everyone instead of just a select few of people. All right, well, I want to thank you for talking about Diversionary, and I look forward to its reopening. Thanks so much, Beth. That was Executive Artistic Director Matt Morrow speaking with KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando. If you can check out tonight's evening edition, you can see what the Diversionary Theater's remodel will look like. Or check out Beth's web story at kpbs.org. 
And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.